Could do better than that, right? Good morning, New Life Manor Two Springs. Good morning. Good to see all of you. It's just a wonderful place to be, to, to worship the Lord with each other. I feel the love in the room. 2023 has been a really good year so far for our church. I think about our women's ministry is just doing great. They just met last Thursday, and I heard great reports of, of women Becoming disciples and leaning into what it means to, to be a disciple. Our men's group is this Thursday. We have a guest speaker right here, 6.30. We have a middle school ministry right now as we're sitting quietly in here. They're in there around the corner learning about the word of God. High school ministry is doing really well. Wednesday nights as a church uh, for 2023, we're going to do some building projects that we have planned in mind. So you'll hear about some of those and some capital expenses we'll be raising. And just, it's kind of just an exciting time. We're headed into Easter. Is anyone else excited to be in church? If so, say amen. 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 All right. Well, let's start with this sermon. We're on a sermon series through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which was a sermon that Jesus gave on a mountain, and that's why it's called, it's his longest work, it's his greatest work that we have recorded, and today we're going to be in this one little line where Jesus says to love your enemies. He says these three words, love your enemies, love your enemies, and so we're going to look at this passage, and uh, that's the title of today's sermon. And it's a challenging passage, so I invite you to listen to what Jesus has to say. Would you stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 5, verse 43? Jesus begins with this. He says, you have heard it said, so this must have been some sort of saying at the time. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Then he says, but I tell you, love your enemies. I'll say that phrase again. It's the title of this sermon. Love your enemies. And then he goes on. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ, you are in our midst. And right now, Lord, we pray to you. You are the God who loves. You are the God who loves us even while We turn away from you, even while we do things that are contrary to you, even though some of us have become enemies of you at some points in our lives. Lord, you continually love us. And Lord, may we love the people of this world in such a way that they are brought to you, that we can, Lord, have courage to love even our enemies. Lord, we pray this and ask it in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people of New Life Manitou Springs, shouted, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Let me tell you a story. It's actually a joke. Does anybody anybody like jokes? Uh, You know, jokes, I don't just tell jokes to be silly uh, from the pulpit, but a joke sometimes has a a way of kind of twisting an insight and letting us see something interesting and unique. And I thought this joke is a little funny. So I thought, let's begin with a little bit of, you know, lightness because we're going to go deep into What I think, I think most of us would agree that this is the most challenging scripture in all of the Bible to love our enemies. So uh, there was once a pastor and he was preaching to a congregation and he was preaching on love your enemies and he expounded upon the word of God. People were roused to attention and he said, okay, are we all going to go out and love our enemies 
are we going to do that? And everyone rose their hand. Yes, we're all going to do that. Except there was one little old lady in the front who was just smiling and, and like folding her arms. And, and he was kind of thrown off by that and said, ma'am, are, are, are you not going to love your enemies? And she said, well, I don't have any enemies. And he was kind of thrown back a little bit like, well, well how old are you, ma'am? And she said, well, I'm 91 years old. And wow, that's, that's a long life. And, and you don't have any enemies. Could you tell us how, how it is that you don't have any enemies? And she kind of toddles about and gets up and addresses the congregation and says, those snakes died a long time ago. <laughs> the first point of this sermon is the same as the title. Love your enemies. Three words, love your enemies. And unlike the joke, Jesus doesn't just say to outlive our enemies. Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't even say to just ignore your enemies or stay away from your enemies. What does Jesus tell us to do? To love our enemies. And maybe some of you in here are kind of like that little old lady uh, that says, I don't, well, I don't even have any enemies. So, some of you might actually say that. Well, you know, maybe there's this elevated definition of what an enemy is, like someone who's out to get you, currently robbing you at gunpoint. Okay, that's clearly an enemy. And if you draw the line there, well, then, well, I, I guess maybe a lot of us don't have enemies. But that's not really the definition of an enemy. I was talking with my wife, Erica, this week about this sermon, and she said that an enemy literally just means that the word comes from just not a friend. And so being a good husband, I, of course, Google fact-checked her and found out she's right, as she always is. That's what the word enemy means. In the Latin, it just means not a friend, anyone who is not a friend. And so we all have not friends. We all have enemies by that definition of the word. We all have people that either don't like us or, if we're honest, we really don't like them we all have people who are enemies in the sense that they are rude. We have enemies in the sense that they may be people who are emotionally needy. We all have enemies in the sense that they're politically different than us. We all have enemies in the sense that there's, we know people who are carelessly causing damage. We all know people who are enemies in the sense that they've put us down or they've shamed us or they've embarrassed us in front of others. We all have enemies. And what does Jesus say to do? To love them, to love those who persecute you, to love those who don't like you, to love those that you don't even like, to love those who have done you wrong, to love those who have pushed you aside to get ahead. And if you love your enemies, Jesus says in this passage, you remember what it says? He says, then you will be like children of your father in heaven. Love as God loves. This is point number two, moving along in this sermon. The first one was to just love your enemies. Well, what kind of love is that? Well, to love as God loves. What type of love does God love with? Well, throughout the pages of this wonderful book, the Bible, we see that God's love is selfless. It's the kind of love that lifts up others. It's often 
translated as, because the word love has lost a lot of definition. It has different meanings to different people and different definitions. I think like in the same, with the same word, I can say, I love my wife. With the same word, I could say, I love pizza. Like, well, what does this word even mean? Well, sometimes it's used, the word charity is often used in English to describe like, this is the type of love that God loves with. The Greek word agape is sometimes helpful to consider. The kind of love that washes people's feet. The kind of love who is, is being tortured and nailed to a cross and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's this uh, kid's book. Uh, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I'll point out Max because he he's happens to be here. Hi, Max. He finished yesterday. It's like, it's like a, do you guys know, some of you parents might know the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's, it's like paragraphs of all the Bible stories, uh, Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's about 300 pages with lots of pictures, really well written. Max just read, he's been reading it since last year, but just yesterday, this little boy in the front, he finished reading that with me. And so good job, Max. <laughs> but in this book, it goes through all the stories of the Bible and its main point, the underlying thesis that it's trying to get into the heads of kids is that God's love is, some of you parents might know this phrase, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever. So like each little chapter along in this Bible with the pictures says, and now we know that God's love is never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever. So that's God's love for us. So how are we supposed to love people with that kind of love? How are we supposed to love our enemies with that kind of love? Let me say three things. This is a practical piece of this sermon, which it, it might be very helpful for you to, today. Uh, sometimes it's helpful to get into the practicalities of things. And some of you might say that this advice, it's, it's not mine, it's, it's things that I've found along the way. But you, some of you might say, this might be the most helpful thing you hear all day. Some of you might say, this might be the most helpful thing you hear all week or all month. This is just helpful, practical advice. The first thing I want to say is to be empathetic. If you have someone who is your enemy, who's not your friend, who's rude to you and mean to you, how are you to love them? Well, to be empathetic. And what I mean by that is to consider the situation from their perspective, to walk a mile in their shoes, if you've heard that phrase before. I heard a story this week, a, a college professor, this woman was teaching a big college class, kind of a lecture style, a big auditorium full of students. And all throughout the semester, every class that they had, this one student would come in late sometimes very late, and not trying to cause a, a ruckus, but oftentimes in a big uh, hall like that, busting through the doors with a bag, trying to find a seat, where could my seat be? And, and finally finding a seat, pulling out the backpack, just very disruptive to the class. And class after class, towards the end of the semester, this student comes busting in, not trying to be disruptive, but nonetheless being disruptive. And this teacher really just wanted to let this kid have it. She wanted to say, this isn't high school anymore. This is college. And just wanted to just yell at this student who had been disrupting her and her workflow as she was teaching, disrupting other students, and just thought, I'll hold myself back and I will talk to this student after class. So class ends. This teacher goes up to the student. The student approaches her and says, I'm so sorry I was late today. I'm so sorry. I've been late, you know, throughout this class. I've been taking care of my mother who's been dying. 
And she starts to tear up and says, my mother actually died yesterday and I've been sitting in my apartment and I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go and I just thought I need to get out of the house and so I came to class and I'm so sorry I'm late. And the teacher was like, my goodness, well that that changes everything. I'm so glad. So the teacher thought I didn't point this person out in front of everyone and, and make fun of them and belittle them because they were disrupting. Like, wow, if we know the other person's perspective, it makes it a lot easier to love them. If we can kind of think the best about people. Did you hear what I just said? Like, think the best. Like, like people sometimes aren't out to get you. It may seem that way. It might seem like they're just trying to bug you for, you know, bugging you's sake, but maybe they have a different story. Maybe they're seeing the situation differently, and you need to hear that. You need to think about what their life could be like from their situation. The next thing I want to say is to pray for your enemies. Did you hear what Jesus says? He says the, the three words, love your enemies. And then what does he say? Pray for those who persecute you. It's like he's giving this philosophical idea, love your enemies. And then practically saying, here's, here's what that can look like. It looks like praying for those that persecute you. This, this little thing that I say now might be a, something that really shifts your whole mindset for some situation. Many of you are in some sort of situation with someone who doesn't like you, with some sign of conflict that maybe some of you are waking up in the morning as the first thing you think about. All throughout the day, there's little things that remind you of this person or this situation. You go to bed. The last thought on your uh, mind as you're hitting your head on the pillow is this person in this situation, and it's hard, and it's rough. And it's, it's just like, oh, it causes you so much tension in life. Maybe praying for this person whenever you think about them could be the best thing that you could do, not only for their sake, but even for your own sake, your own mental health. You're giving them over to God. When you're thinking these thoughts of like, oh, I got to get them back and what are they going to do next? Just, Lord, would you bless them? Would you comfort them? Would you bring your peace to them? And Lord, would you work through me? And, And Lord, I hand them over to you because you are a God who is loving. You know what that'll do for you? That'll, that'll, that'll bring you closer to the Lord. It'll, it'll be giving you the opportunity to hand the situation over to the Lord and get rid of anger and resentment and revenge. I heard a quote, I've heard it many times, that, that holding on to anger is like drinking poison, hoping the other person will get sick. Have you heard that saying before? Like holding resentment, being mad and and just vengeful is like drinking poison, hoping that the other person will get sick. Here's the last thing I want to say as far as practical advice for us as we somehow find space in our lives to love an enemy. And it's the phrase, it's usually masculine in, in how it's said, but the phrase, be the bigger man. Have you heard this phrase? Or be the bigger person in the situation. It's kind of an idiom that we use. But be the bigger person. You know, if you're in a situation where you need to apologize to someone else and gosh darn it, they need to apologize to you. What's, what's this phrase mean? To be the bigger person. Well, it means for you to be the one to say I'm sorry first. For you to be the one that breaks the chain of hatred Let me share with you uh, kind of a story, and it's one from Scripture. It's kind of like three examples 
that Jesus gives that need a little bit of explaining. So this is right before, this is the same chapter, Sermon on the Mound. This is a few verses right before Jesus is going to say, love your enemies. He says this, Matthew 5, 39. He gives three little kind of examples of what this could look like. He says, I tell you, uh, do not resist an evil person, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to hand over your coat as well. And if someone, it says, forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Here's three little examples on what loving your enemy can look like. And it needs a little bit of, we need to talk through like the historical context because these things are like, why would someone force me to walk a mile? Why would I hand over my, like, how, why, do you, why would you sue someone for a shirt, for goodness sakes? Like, there's because there are better things to do with your time. Like, what's going on here? Well, let's get into the context just a little bit, a little bit of history here. This will be your nerd alert of the day, nerd alert. All right. Uh, let's look at the, let's talk about the mile thing first. Uh, if Jesus says, if someone forces you to walk a mile, what does he say? Go with them too. This is kind of a weird thing. Like, like what's the context here for forcing someone to walk a mile? Well, if we get into the ancient historical context, we, we know that the Romans took over Israel, this foreign country, this foreign empire, took over Israel. And can you imagine, like, another country taking over America, and they were forcing their rules upon us. They were forcing heavy taxes upon us. They had all these guards and soldiers everywhere. Can you imagine how horrible life would be under that type of oppression. And that was the Israelite situation. They were being oppressed by the Romans. And there was a rule, a law that said any Roman soldier could come up to somebody and say, hey, Nash, you look strong. Get up here and, and carry my stuff with me for one mile. You don't have to do that. I'm just picking on Nash, our drummer. And so like, can you imagine like already kind of not liking the Romans and then you get picked as like, you need to walk with me and carry all my stuff one mile. The law even says that you need to do this. Can you imagine that? Like how mad you would be in that situation, having to walk one full mile with this clown that you don't even like and you're carrying his stuff, but the law said you had to do it. What does Jesus say to do? Go with them another mile. Go with them two miles, which was you know, beyond the extent of the law. And can you imagine getting to the place you were going? Maybe there were some other Roman soldiers or other people. And, and you find out, like, this guy just walked two miles. Like, you're only supposed to walk one mile, but he walked two? Like, who does that put the shame on? Doesn't that put the shame on, like, the Roman soldier for taking advantage of someone in that situation? Or the next example. Uh, it says, if someone tries to sue you for your shirt... In the ancient world, clothes were very expensive. You couldn't just go to the thrift store and buy uh, a whole bunch of clothes very cheaply. Clothes were very expensive. You probably, in the ancient world, only had one set of clothes, your underclothes and then your overclothes. And someone could be sued even for the shirt off their back. Like if you really wanted to stick it to someone else and really put them down, you could, you could sue them for the shirt they were wearing. That's all they had. But you couldn't sue them. I guess you could sue them for their, for their outer coat, but there was a rule that said you couldn't keep that outer cloak, cloak overnight because in the, the cold winters of the desert, uh, to take someone's only piece of clothing could be putting their life 
at risk. So there was a law that said you could, you could sue them for your shirt, but you could you know, sue them for their cloak and keep that overnight. There's, they had these weird rules at the time. And what does Jesus say? Well, if someone sues you for your shirt, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to, take, you're supposed to give them your outer cloak as well? And so what would, that, what would that make the person that had just been sued? Well, standing there like either naked or in their underwear. Like how shameful is that? And then the crowd, you know, you would, you would probably consider like, who's this jerk that just took this guy's shirt and is now getting the outer cloak of this nearly naked person standing here? Like the shame would then be upon them, right? So Jesus is not only giving um, advice on, on what love to an enemy looks like. He's also like transforming a culture. If we want to make real change here, let's not fight in the way the world fights. Let's fight with love. The last example here is maybe the most interesting about the, the slapping. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them your left. Everybody point to your right cheek. All right, so if I'm going to slap somebody... I won't really slap, and I'm coming out, so don't, don't be nervous. But Rob, Rob, would you stand up? I'm not going to slap Rob. Uh, but your right cheek is this right cheek. And so if, if most people are right-handed, if I'm going to not punch but, but to slap Rob, what would I be doing? I'd be a backhand. Have you heard this before? That this passage is probably about like an insult. And if, I'm, if there's a crowd and I'm insulting Rob and I'm either literally or figuratively slapping him with insults, and he's not responding back. He's not saying, you know, well, you did this, or, you know, you have that. He's just responding with, like, turning the other cheek and allowing more insults. Who's the one to be shamed here in this situation? It's probably the one doing the insulting. Thank you, Rob. Um, Jesus is saying, you don't fight hate with hate. You don't fight violence with violence. We, we love, and the type of love that God loves with. Let me tell you one more story. Uh, actually, I got two more stories. One's later on. But this story is uh, about a pastor who would, uh, a couple times a year, if I said his name, and I will say his name in just a few minutes, everybody in here will recognize this pastor. But uh, every year during this pastor's career, Quite a few times during the year, he would preach on this passage, loving your enemies. And he tells a story uh, in one of his sermons. He's sitting in a car. He's not driving. His brother's driving. He's sitting in the car. It's at night. And it seemed like one car after another was not dimming their bright lights. Anyone get annoyed by this? Okay, yeah, me too. And, and they were not dimming their lights. And he was, he was sitting there and his brother was driving. And his brother's just getting really upset. Like, why aren't these cars dimming their lights? And the brother says, you know what I'm going to do to the next car? The next car that doesn't dim their lights, I'm not going to dim mine. And I'm going to give them the full force of my bright lights. And the pastor sitting next to his brother said, oh, no, brother, you can't do that. There'll be too much light, too much blinding light on this highway, and it could end up in mutual destruction. He goes on to say, someone's got to have sense to dim their light. Somebody must have sense because that's the trouble, isn't it? That all these civilizations in this world move up the highway of history. So many civilizations, having looked at other civilizations, saying, dim your lights, 
and they haven't refused. So then we as a civilization refuse to dim our lights. This pastor goes on to preach this sermon in 1957 at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, and says, hate begets hate. Violence begets violence. Toughness begets toughness. Someone needs to break the chain of hate. This pastor's name is Martin Luther King Jr. I think about um, this comedian. I won't say his name because he's, he's not a very clean comedian. I really appreciate clean comedy. You don't, it's kind of rare nowadays to find like a clean comedian, so I appreciate them. But there's a comedian who says, uh, imagine if aliens came to earth. Bear, bear with me for just a moment. Aliens come to earth and they're kind of just looking at humanity and we're having conversations about who we are and getting to know each other. And the aliens are kind of come to the conclusion like, you humans are all jerks. Like, you're always just mean to each other, all these wars. And humanity is like, well, no, we're not all bad. Like, we had this guy once, and he talked about love. He even said, love your enemies. And on his birthday, the whole world, like, changes gifts. So that, that's, you know, we had, we had that guy. And the aliens are like, well, how, was that recent? And we're like, nah, that's like 2,000 years ago. But there was this other guy who came along, a black guy. He had a mustache. He preached the same kind of great stuff about loving people, even loving your enemies. And on his birthday, we get off school and work. And so we're not all bad. And the aliens are like, well, maybe you're right. Maybe you're not all bad. What did you do to those two guys? And then as humanity, we just like, oh, gosh. Like, yeah, we all, we all are jerks, aren't we? Like the whole world, like there's just... You know, it's easy to point our fingers at the wars and enemies and civilizations and how much evil and darkness has been done and is being done in the world today. And it's easy to point out, but let's, let's look in. As I conclude this sermon, the last point, point three here, is we were enemies of God. We were enemies of God. And this isn't God calling us his enemies. This is us turning our backs on God, each and every one of us. Each and every one of us have not loved like we were supposed to. Every one of us have uh, done wrong in thought and word and deed. We have left un things undone. We have not loved others as ourselves. We were enemies of God, and yet while we were enemies of God, he loved us. Look at this passage, Romans chapter 5, the, the Letter from Paul to the churches in Rome. Paul says this, For if while we were God's enemies, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So we, while we were in sin, while we were enemies of God, what did God do for us? He loved us. And that's why Jesus can say with all boldness, love your enemies, because this is what God does. He loved even us while we made ourselves enemies of God. He loved us. Here's this last story for you. It's not my story. Many of you are familiar with uh, an author. Um, uh, what's his name? Wrote Les Mis, Victor... Victor Hugo, thank you, uh, wrote Les Mis. It was the book originally, 1800s, became a wonderful musical. Anybody ever see the live musical? Great, look at all the hands. Uh, then there's now, there's now at least two movies that I know of based on this book, Les Mis. 
And it uh, starts with this character. Do you remember the character's name? Jean Valjean, good job, class. Uh, you must have read the book in high school like I did. Uh, Jean Valjean is this character that uh, is, you kind of feel sorry for him because he's so poor, but he steals to, to, to give bread to another person and he's caught for this uh, crime of stealing. He goes to prison for quite some time. He's at a work camp and then he gets out and he's an ex-con, he can't find a job. He's lonely, he's sick, he's hungry, and it just so happens that he runs into a Christian bishop. And the Christian bishop, what's he do? Takes him into his house, feeds him, clothes him, and to return this favor, what does Jean Valjean do? In the night, he leaves stealing what? Do you remember what he steals? bunch of silverware worth a lot in that time he could sell the silverware and get cash in his pocket and he's later on down the road uh caught by some police the police you know detain him they search him they find some silverware this can't be your silverware you're an ex-con you're a nobody you're a pauper where'd you get this from finds out that he he got it from the bishop's house so they drag him to the bishop's house and then this scene happens. And if you've seen the movie or the, watched the play or read the book, you know this beautiful scene where he's confronted by the bishop. The priests are like, hey, we found him. You stole your silverware. And what's the bishop do? He says, that, that, that silverware is yours. And, and in fact, um, you forgot these two silver lampstands. And so he sends his wife, gets these silver lampstands, hands him to Jean Valjean, and the police are astounded. Like, what do you mean? Like, what, what, what's going on here? But it's an act of grace. The, the bishop is letting him go and giving him more to sell for him to have money. And he whispers these words, God, the bishop, to Jean Valjean, as he hands him these silver candle stands, God has purchased you. Now, go live an honest life. What an image of grace. What an image of the gospel in this beautifully written book of these characters being played out. The bishop offering the grace that we have received from God, saying, you've been purchased by God. Now go, live an honest life. And that's exactly, if you read the rest of the book or the movie or the musical, all of them, great. Uh, this is just a wonderful story. Jean Valjean goes on to become the mayor. He does live an honest life. He's able to help all these different people. Then you run into different conflicts. It's a wonderful story, but that's, where, that's the good news. Even while we were enemies, even while we've stolen from God and run away, he finds us and in his grace gives us mercy. He purchases us for himself by the cross, his death on the cross. Would you stand with me? We're gonna receive communion. The band can come forward. They're gonna lead us in one last song. At New Life Manitou, everyone in here, if you believe in Jesus, you're welcome to receive communion with us in your baskets uh, by your floor. Make sure if people around you are looking for the elements that they get them as well. But there's an image of God, Jesus knocking at the door of our lives and if we are willing to open the door, we will find that through the door is God inviting us to receive a meal with him. And so on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And if you want to take this bread out of your container, Jesus says that 
this bread is like his body. The, the mystery of God's body is that we can hold it each week and receive it. And his body was broken for us. He invites us to his table and we get to receive from him. We might feel as though when God himself is knocking at the door of our hearts that we don't deserve to, come, to open it. We don't deserve to come and sit and to eat with him. But there he is offering us himself day after day, week after week. So would you receive this bread with me? And we take the cup, the cup of the new covenant that Jesus lifts on the night he was betrayed, on his last night on earth, he lifts a cup. And he says, this is my blood shed for you. God's come to earth and he has died for us. And so we receive this cup, the cup of salvation. Let's receive it together. So God, we sing this last song in your presence, asking you to redeem us and forgive us, asking us, asking you, Lord, to show us your love that we might go out and to love this world like you love us. So Lord, we praise you, we worship you, and thank you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.